Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, it is the 2nd of December. I am Carmen LaBerge, and I did not get a lot of sleep last night. Two reasons. One, uh, was continuing to pray for my friend. Um, but also, there was a plumbing crisis. <clears throat> and so, uh, yesterday, middle of the day, uh, one of our sons asked me to do something. In order to accomplish that, I needed to go into Jim's study and find something. I found said item, and... In looking for said item, which was on top of uh, a bookcase, my eye was drawn to the ceiling. And I thought to myself, hmm, something doesn't look right. So I climbed upon a table and I put my hand upon the ceiling. So uh, here is my way I wrote my notes this morning. This, <laughs> these are my notes that I, what's on the ceiling? Stands on table, touches ceiling over bookcase. Hmm. Jim, Jim, screaming, screaming, <laughs> lots of screaming. Now, Jim is suffering from what I will describe as a self-inflicted injury sustained two nights ago, late at night in the wood shop where he was building a new wood box to sit next to the fireplace for me. And so he didn't rush uh, to my to my calls uh, nearly as quickly as he normally does, but he arrived, he sees me standing on the table, my hands on the ceiling, I take my hands down and I show him my hands, and he immediately grabs his phone to call the plumber. Uh, he then uh, proceeds to painfully climb under the house to turn off the water, and then we both head upstairs to see exactly what's going on in Eliana's bathroom. That was 1 p.m. yesterday. At 10 p.m. last night, the plumbers left. <clears throat> there are holes in the ceiling in Jim's study. There are holes in the bathroom uh, in Ellie's room. And there is now an unplanned bathroom remodeling project uh, as a, what, what will be part of the LaBerge uh, family holiday plans. So such is life, right? So here is my uh, give thanks in all circumstances uh, because I called my sister and, and I was laughing. And she's like, okay, how could you be laughing in the midst of this? I'm like, because I'm so grateful for indoor plumbing. Like, I am so thankful. I have been to places that don't have indoor plumbing around the world. I'm so thankful for indoor plumbing and I'm so thankful for plumbers. And I'm so thankful for plumbers that will come after their regular workday. I mean, like, that guy and his assistant who came last night, like, they are my heroes. Heroes. Um, so I'm thankful for the resources and the ability and the grace. I am grateful to God today um, for the plumber. Um, now, one uh, news headline before we bring Dr. Peter Kapsner on the show um, – Germany's cha uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel is actually going to be ending her time of service today. She, for lots of people, she's been the chancellor as long as, you know, frankly, we can remember. Today, this Thursday, she is going to be giving given a ceremonial farewell. Um, and there is going to be walk-off music. So people have walk-on music. 
She has Walk Off Music. It is um, a song by German punk singer Nina Hagen. Um, and it caused quite a surprise because everybody expected Merkel to choose something from, you know, I don't know, her Protestant upbringing. She's after she's a, you know, pastor's kid after all. Anyway, uh, what would be your walk off music? Next up, Peter Kapsner's walk on music. We'll be right back. Dr. Peter Kapsner, one who is gifted in counting it all joy. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. Oh, I so sympathize with your plumbing story. It just, it's brilliant. I, I was sitting here thinking how, how devastating uh, of an online platform YouTube is because you go on to try to do a simple home improvement project or, or figure out how to do something. They make it look so easy. And I can't tell you how it, there's not a one-to-one relationship but what, between what they do on YouTube and, and my attempt at what they do at YouTube. So I love that you had plumbers over at 10 o'clock last night. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I'm so thankful for those guys. All right. Yeah, um, if, totally. you had to pick, if you had to pick walk off music, what would you be walking off from and what would the music be? Well, that is, I was thinking about that a little bit, but actually we're going to talk a little bit about Thanos today, I think, from, uh, from the Avengers saga. And, and Paul, you know, Double P, as, as he does, as he mixes up music in, in the way that he does, he, he picks some Thanos music. I love that music. It has kind of this, this ominous, foreboding kind of thing, but I would want a mic drop sound effect uh, at the mm. end of that, too. So, so maybe Double P can put together the mic drop with a little bit of Thanos today. Paul, we're going to give you a couple of minutes to work on that. See what I can do. See what I can do. While we talk about how strong is Peter Kapsner. So the headline is Avengers. Thanos Infinity Gauntlet Snap was impossible, scientists say. So this is a conversation about science and total fiction and myth and how strong we think things are. Yeah, that was actually, uh, you know, I love it when when really smart physicists decide to put their mind towards popular culture because they determined, surprisingly, of course, that Thanos would be unable to snap his fingers with that metal gauntleted glove uh, at the end of Infinity Wars. But I didn't, I don't know if you knew this, Carmen, I didn't know that snapping fingers, it was like 20 times faster than blinking or something. So the amount of friction created when you snap your fingers uh, that's required to get that good pop or that good snap. Uh, happens at, at, it seems like, near the speed of light, apparently. And so uh, I I was all in on the Avengers. I thought it was all possible that he could snap his fingers and half the universe would disintegrate. But apparently that snap itself, he couldn't, the the physicists suggest that he couldn't generate the friction necessary, that you actually have to have skin on skin between, and I don't don't know if you can snap. Some people can't snap for some reason. I I use my middle finger and my thumb and and can really generate a lot of friction there to do that snap. Yeah, right? So, but there's some That's people that me. can't snap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like rolling your tongue. Some people can't do that either. 
I can't do that. I can't do that. But you know, we we actually it was fun because we we just got done with my 14 year old daughter watching Infinity War, so she's in the midst of the cliffhanger, uh, and and you know I always get bitter because we had to wait anywhere between six months to two years to find out what happened in, in some of these Marvel movies or if Vader really was Luke's father. So I try to make my kids wait at least 72 hours between cliffhangers so that they can just sit in the dissonance of, of the whole thing. But I do. It did bring up, and you and I were chatting about it a little bit this week, it brought up something interesting in class where in my ethics class, as I've said many different times, I'm always surprised at how much my syllabus has to change year in and year out because social issues of today didn't exist maybe two or three or four years ago when I first wrote or developed a class. I just rewrote a class for a different institution that I'd written five years ago. And I couldn't believe the, the lack of relevance in the scholastic resources I was using or even the conversations. And with my young people, environment is a really big conversation. And we, and we try to take the political heat out of it. I mean, obviously, our country is wrestling through whether we're going to do a Build Back Better plan at $1.75 trillion or whatever the numbers are. That includes this Green New Deal. But we, we try to take all of that in, uh, political heat out of it and wonder about environment from a stewardship standpoint. And, and part of what I love about that Avengers movie is this moral dilemma where Thanos is obviously a villain, but he has, he, he's, he's entering into the conversation. Is there a, a certain point in which the demand of the human population will outstrip the supply with which a planet can, can support the, the total amount of that human population? So let's just say for the sake of argument that on our planet we had... 45 billion people would there be then at that point enough food and, and enough um, materials to go around and, and there's lots of conversations again that's a hornet's nest of a conversation but at some point you do reach a tipping point where there is too much of one population and not enough resources this is why uh, sometimes they have to thin out deer herds for example because there's not enough wolves or, or whatever that looks like and Thanos uh, believed that if he could just snap his fingers and eliminate half the population that he would restore all of these planets to some sort of sustaining beauty. So that got us into an environment conversation. And Carmen, the, the, the last point of this that we began exploring class, it's the first time I've really explored this in more depth, is that uh, stewardship of the earth in terms of creating beauty around us hmm. really has the, the, the possibility of being evangelistic in the sense that we are meant as followers of Jesus to bear witness to the now and coming kingdom. And, mm -hmm. and when you read Revelation 22, that coming kingdom, you see this beautiful restoration uh, of, of Eden, of this earth of delight. And so uh, we're in the shadowlands. We see through a glass darkly. But I had an opportunity at one point to walk through the gardens of Mon Monet in, in Giverny in France. And my breath was taken away just by the, the, the color palette that I had never seen before within God's creation was was stunning and and so you're you're pointing to the future restoration these flowers are still groaning for the release like the rest of creation but it began to at least a conversation for me and i'd be curious your thoughts on that too about is it possible that stewardship is more than just doing a good thing but we're actually able to point to the now and coming kingdom when we create beauty in the world around us absolutely it's 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 why we pick up trash it's why we pick up trash. It's, a, it's an act of restoration. It's an act of redemption. It's, it's saying to Satan, not this one square inch, buddy, not this one square inch. Um, all right. So um, on your point of cliffhangers, which uh, I made a note about when you said that a couple of minutes ago, um, I'm thinking of the movie line, I'll be back. And oh, I'm right. thinking of the promise of Jesus, I'll be back. 
how do we sit in the dissonance and retain a great expectation for thousands of years for the yeah, real savior of the world? There you go. That's what I'm going to leave us with as we go to a break. Love it. Next up, what Peter Kapsner has cooking. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? All right. Hey, good looking. What you got cooking? That is my <laughs> intro into a conversation with Peter Kapsner about a New York Times piece entitled Who Owns a Recipe? A Plagiarism Claim Has Cookbook Authors Asking. That was a fascinating article, Carmen, because I deal with plagiarism within academia, obviously, on an ongoing basis. We all do as professors. And and I think it's far more pervasive than we might know, because it's pretty easy for a student, if they want to, to read something and sort of reframe it and slip it into their papers. And, and, And as smart as we professors may or may not be, of course, we haven't read all of what our students might be reading. So you, you don't always know for sure if they're citing properly. So you, you have to lean into to ethics uh, of writing and of plagiarism, where you give credit to somebody else's idea. You don't try to take that credit for your own and then leverage what somebody else did for your own personal gain. It's, it's not hard to just simply cite somebody else's work as you're pulling it together in your own thinking. You're not diminished by it. You're not thought less of. And, and in fact, I encourage my students to oversight their work uh, because that there just is this, this sense of we can be we can be working together as human beings. We don't have to use one another to to again leverage for personal gain. And so the heart of plagiarism is sort of a, a classiness. It's an, it, it has a bit of humility to it when when you're not doing it when you're simply just giving credit where credit is due. And that's pretty well established within academia. But but recipes, I just found it fascinating that recipes have almost always resisted cries of plagiarism where somebody has a general idea and then somebody might take that idea and put it in their own cookbook. Now, I I have been bitter for for quite some time that you have not (laughs) shared your applesauce muffin recipe with me. And um, and I'm very close to just sort of deconstructing the composition of that muffin and claiming it as my own unless you're willing to give it away soon. And soon, Carmen, soon. So so here's the problem, Peter. It's it's posted on myfaithradio.com. All you have to do is put the word oh, no. muffin in the search bar <laughs> you really, on, you really did on the ministry website. If you go to Faith Radio, myfaithradio.com and in the search bar, you type the word muffin, um, the redemption muffin recipe is right there. <clears throat> so so, so you've, you've been withholding from me, but willing to give it to all of our listeners. That's, I just, now I'm even more bitter, Carmen, at this point. If you would listen from time to time, you would know. <laughs> I love that is show. All. You know that. That is all. Okay, so okay. I, um, yeah, I... I just I just think this is a good place for me to offer a general disclaimer. I have no original thoughts. Right, right. So I seek to pass on to others what I, in turn, have also received, um, chief and first among those, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the incarnate living Son of the one and only God, co-eternal with the Father. Um, I, I seek to pass along the gospel of Jesus Christ that I, that I also received. I mean, I, I am passing on to others things I've learned, things I've gleaned, things I've overheard. Um, and so, you know, if I fail to quote a pastor who I heard say something once and they think I'm plagiarizing them, see, here's my problem. They think too highly of themselves. It's not their right. thought either. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, you know, if, you're, if you are teaching the Word of God and then you want to hold people accountable for plagiarizing you— Okay, who do you think you are and whose words do you think you're speaking? 
Anyway, yeah. okay, that's a, that, I realize it's a different tangent. I actually had a friend. Her name is Elizabeth. She's now dead. So I feel like I can tell this story. Um, she refused to give people this pound cake recipe that, you know, she was guarding like it was, you know, from <laughs> Fort on Knox. High. Yeah, right. Yeah, Fort <laughs> Knox. Yep. She also had a chocolate chip cookie recipe that she oh. you know, fiercely guarded. She would not share it. She'd bring the she'd bring the pound cake or she'd bring the chocolate chip cookie recipe and she'd, you know, she'd give the She'd give the product away, but she would never, never, never give the recipe away. So at her funeral, her kids thought it'd be fun to put those recipes in the, um, you know, in the worship order because everybody had been waiting until Elizabeth died to get them. (laughs) Well, the cookie recipe was 100% plagiarized from um, a really well-known, very popular cookie recipe that was like, you know, related to a department store or something. I can't even remember. It's like a Neiman Marcus recipe or something. So she was... Yeah, she was not passing along the recipe because she she had plagiarized it from somewhere else. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that I want to ask you quickly. Yeah, go on that. I was just going to say, if my mother's listening, and she and she often will, um, she has the best chocolate chip cookies that I have ever eaten. And I'll tell you what, Carmen, uh, I have asked her multiple times to teach me how to make these cookies so that they can carry on for generations. And and she has been, she has dodged and deflected. And she says, well, it's a little bit of butter, a little bit of this here and there. <laughs> I came to find out that she actually was telling my daughter how to do the recipe while she was bypassing my generation all together. So I think I'm putting you and my mom in the same camp of people who just you, you should be giving me this information. I don't understand why you're withholding like this. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably on the back of the package. All right. So <laughs> um, I'm just saying. All right. I want to ask you one more question. We have two minutes and then mm-hmm. we have to we have to go. Um, apparently, yep. December the 11th, December the 11th is statistically the most common day of the year to break off a romantic relationship. There, people That's have done the math on this. Yeah. A little bit like, you yeah. know, statisticians applying actual science to something. December the 11th, statistically the most common day of the year to break up. I, I, was, try, I was puzzling over sociologically why that must be. I can't think of any People don't want to uh, buy people Christmas gifts. I no, think it they has to don't. be that, right? I totally, mean, the variable 100%. is exactly that. People, people say, well, you know, I'm not in for another $100 on this relationship. I don't for, want this person in my family Christmas pictures. I right. don't want to take it them to, to my... To my Christmas, to my work Christmas party, and I certainly don't want to go out with them on New Year's Eve. There you go. Yeah, that's what I, I think is exactly going on. It. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. what I appreciated about the article is it just it, it reminded us that again, back to the plagiarism conversation. If if we could just reestablish a bit of classiness with one another, I mean, don't break up over a text train or email or, or make a TikTok video of some kind <laughs> that you're going to break up. This is truly what happens in the next generation so often. Just go face to face and say I'm really sorry and be classy about it and and move forward. You you want to not create pain into somebody's rippling, unfolding future, right? I mean, do you you want to be classy about the whole thing? So. Um, Peter, we're not breaking up with you. Uh, well, I'm really glad to hear that. And I heard the mic drop, too, there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to wait for the mic drop. I'm so sorry. I, we are, I love it. We are officially not breaking up with Peter Kapsner. He will be back. Uh, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We have to leave it right there with Peter because next up we have a conversation that's already recorded. And so that means, you know, we actually need the time to air it. Uh-huh. <laughs> love Peter, we love you, man. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back. All right. Thanks for all of you who are engaging on the text line this morning, sharing uh, your thoughts about a walk-off song. I like the input of uh, Reverend Castro, who says, I'm um, uh, going to have Amazing Grace played on a bagpipe at my funeral. 
or graveside committal. Not sure that's what you meant by a walk-off. I like that. I like that. Walking off. Um, we've got uh, input here from Lori who says, um, oh, that's a really good question. Hadn't thought about that. In Christ Alone or the theme from Lord of the Rings. Those would be her walk-off songs. Um, so there you go. Little little thoughts there um, in terms of what people are thinking about in in this season of Advent um, as well. All right. Sarah Molitor is up next. She is, among other things, the mom of six little boys. I mean, that pretty much says it all. Um, she has a book called I Grew With You. It's really an examination of pregnancy and the beauty of childbearing and the miracle of life. And we thought it would be really fun to share with you today. So next up, my conversation with Sarah Molitor. This is Max Lucado. In the mystery of Christmas, we find its majesty. The mystery of how God became flesh, why he chose to come, and how much he must love his people. Christmas is best pondered not with logic, but with imagination. The first Christmas was messy, messy with crowded inns, traveling families, and barnyard animals sniffing at baby Jesus. Messy with questions. How did Mary become pregnant? What is Joseph supposed to tell his friends? Why is Herod hell-bent on killing babies? The first Christmas was messy. No midwife for Mary, no bed for Jesus, no explanation to give the scruffy shepherds. Is this one messy for you? Too many relatives, divorce, pink slip, Christmas can be messy. But just as with Bethlehem, good came out of the mess. May good come out of yours. What a delight to have joining us today, Sarah Molitor. It's it's quite possible that you already follow her on Instagram. Um, her um, uh, her follow there is at Modern Farmhouse Family at Modern Farmhouse Family. Um, really, really delightful presence there on social media. Sarah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. It's really fun to be here. Oh, well, so you have a very full life. Why don't you just tell us what's going on right now, maybe in your hands and certainly in your home? Yeah, um, I am married to my husband, Tim. We live in the Pacific Northwest and we have six little boys. They range in age from nine all the way down to our newest little one who is three months old. And kind of a fun fact, our nine-year-old and our newest baby actually share a birthday, which he really loves. That's really exciting for him. Um, and then, what a great, yeah, what a great birthday gift, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a really fun thing for him. And then, um, we just raise our boys together and, uh, we do our social media, which is really fun where we aim to encourage people and just kind of create a refreshing space in the social media world. And then also, um, I've recently launched, written and launched our new book. I grew with you for children. All right. So we want to talk about that. The book is I Grew With You. It's for parents and kids. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect that your nine-year-old really um, had input and appreciates the conversation in the book as well. Um, I love the way that you feature, you know, all of the boys. Like, I grew with you and you and you and you. I thought that was really um, <laughs> a sweet way, like, right, a sweet way yes. to show all this. Part of this is you, though, talking about you as a mom growing mm-hmm. with these little people. So can you talk about what this book is really about? Because it's really about the experience of pregnancy. 
Right. Um, when we, so as a little girl had always been my dream to write a children's book. I remember sitting on my bed, writing poems and songs and rhymes and all these different things. I was just telling my nine-year-old this recently. And so when I, um, got reached out to by our publisher, Good and True Media, I just was like, wow, this could be the opportunity. And that morning of the pitch of our meeting to give them ideas for a book, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> and so I had this idea in the shower where all great ideas come from. And because it's the only I place of peace in your life. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's right? exactly right. <laughs> and the words I grew with you came to me and I kind of like just thought on those for a little bit. And as I gave the meeting and I pitched it at the end and they were like, you know, forget the other ideas. That is the idea. And like, how cool would it be to go through this pregnancy at the same time as you write this book about pregnancy? And really it stemmed from a want to, you know, my kids have questions about pregnancy as most children do. And I wanted to write something that was fun and humorous and showed the joys and the highs and, you know, a little bit of the things that happened during pregnancy in a kid appropriate way that they could look at the illustrations and say, oh, mommy, did that happen to you? Is that happening to you right now? And so it was really my way to share my pregnancy with the boys in a tangible, fun way that was unique to them. Yeah, it is a truly unique approach to the conversation. It's really, it's beautiful in so many ways. It showcases women, you know, who are very, very different um, mm -hmm. than than us, different shapes, different sizes, ethnicities. But the reality is every woman who's ever been pregnant has shared a similar experience. So right, there's right. this, every pregnancy is unique, and yet every pregnancy is also this unified thing that all women right. who have babies experience as each other. Yes. And it was so important to me um, to show different women because here's the thing, like, it's not just my children reading the book. And I really thought of that when I was writing it. I was like, I, I want kids to sit down and I don't want them to see the same woman over and over. I want them to turn the page and say, that mommy looks like you, that kid looks like me, that, you know, whatever. And that they could have a, a really a touch point to relate to the book and feel like that was special for them you know, as well. And so that was a big, big thing to me. And I, how it turned out, I was just blown away. I think it turned out so, so well. All right. The book is I Grew With You. Sarah Molitor is the author. Um, and you can find her and, and the book as well at Modern Farmhouse Family on Instagram. That's, uh, that's the place where you're going to want to connect with Sarah. All right. So Sarah, I, um, I hear that you, um, you like to bake and maybe you mm -hmm. are a very amateur baker. So we want to know, take us into your kitchen. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. Uh, well, I do love to bake. And if I'm being honest, my, my happy spot is dessert and bread. So carbs and sweets, right? Every woman's dream. Amen. And Amen. Sister. I just, if, if I ever get to like bring something to a party, I'm like, Oh, put me on dessert, put me on bread. And I just, that is fun for me. It's, you know, I used to do it just really for me and for baking sake, but now it's even more fun because the boys like to join me. And I have my second one in particular, Hudson. He is the one that loves to be in the kitchen helping. And so it's a fun place for me to kind of wind down, relax, bake something yummy, and then get the satisfaction of watching, um, six little boys and my husband gobble it up as quick as I can bake it. So yeah, it's just a fun little outlet for me on the side. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. A dozen of something is really not enough at your house because everybody wants <laughs> no. two. And that means that you, you and your husband, you don't ever get anything. 
And that's the problem. I'm hungry too. So I, we were saying that the other night, I think I made some banana bread and I made like four loaves and two of them were gone within 10 minutes. And my husband looked at me and he goes, just wait till they're teenagers. That's four oh. isn't going to be enough to touch it. And I was like, I know. So, um, yeah, I definitely have to consider that now. And whenever I'm baking, my husband comes over and he always takes some and I'm like, honey, it's not done yet. And he says, if I don't take it now, I am not getting any. So I am taking my portion now. <laughs> and he's like, and you should too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're learning these lessons about delayed gratification or not. There you go. Yes, All right, exactly. we're going to take a very brief break in our conversation um, with Sarah Molitor, but you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, we're talking about the book. I grew with you. We're also talking about just all things going on in the modern farmhouse family. We'll be right back. All right, picking up where we left off with Sarah Molitor. Um, she is the, I would describe her as the host of At Mar Modern Farmhouse Family. Really fun follow on Instagram. Um, her book is I Grew With You. She's got six little boys along with her husband, Tim, and she homeschools all of them, which is where I want to turn in conversation, Sarah. Um, when you think about homeschooling, because there's just a lot, a lot of families across the country who have begun to think differently about yeah. the way their kids are educated and who's educating their kids. And so there's a lot of new homeschoolers out there now. Um, mm -hmm. I would just invite you to give them some encouragement. My guess is that homeschooling, like, is an ongoing process at your home. Um, yeah, so can you just describe that to us a little bit? Yeah, I remember starting at the thought process of, hey, I, I think I want to homeschool. And I remember buying my curriculum. And the first night, um, the night before we started school with my oldest, I looked at the curriculum and I looked up at my husband like a deer in headlights. And I was like, did I make the right choice? Because <laughs> at the time, it just looking over what it was saying, it felt so overwhelming. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Um, but what really helped was it was in the doing, you, you know, they say something like what, see one, do one, teach one. And that really rang true for me in homeschooling. Once I got my hands in it, once I started speaking it out, once I started doing it with my son, it really started to make sense and become our own flow. And that flow has changed over and over and over. So I guess my encouragement to parents is that, um, each day may look different. It doesn't have to look the same. And that's the beauty of it. The beauty is the flexibility, right? That's why you're doing it. Maybe you're doing it for other reasons as well. But one of the main reasons is flexibility. And so if one day looks different than the other, lean into that. If one hour looks different than the other, lean into that. If you need to pause halfway through your school and have 10 minutes of jumping jacks and getting the wiggles out, we do that a lot and lean into that because those are the parts that make it exciting. Those are the parts that build the bond and relationship between you and your kids. And and my other big piece of advice is if something's not working, switch it. I I know in myself when you spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on a curriculum and then your kid is just not meshing with it. You're like, we're just going to push through this. We're just going to make this happen. <laughs> and I think that's the worst thing you can do. I think the best thing is to find what works for your child. And again, just to, just to go with that and make the change for that. Because when they're thriving, you're going to be happy. And when they're not thriving, you're going to be stressed. So I, you know, just finding that happy spot. And like you said, Carmen, I am still finding that on different days. So it's a journey for sure. So. You had a period of your life where you served as a registered nurse. Um, I mean, that's your, you know, vocational background. I mm -hmm. I suspect that there are 
many, many, many things from nursing that you bring forward into um, your life of service as a wife and a mom. Um, but you take the the title of wife and mom really seriously. And and this is your sense of calling that you're really living into. And I want to celebrate that with you. And I want to allow you to have an opportunity to express that. I mean, how how is it that the role of wife and mother has really shaped you more than maybe any other title you've had in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I So one of the reasons I became a nurse and that I really loved becoming a nurse was that I could help people, right? You get to go into their lives, you get to step into their lives for a moment, and you get to help them in whatever crisis they're in. You also get to celebrate with them. Maybe they're having a baby, whatever it is, you just get to be a part of that for a moment. And one of the reasons I became a nurse also was because you could leave that and go home and then not worry about that afterwards and not think about it. You know, you didn't take your job with you, so to speak. You didn't take the person home with you. Um... And then what I found was with motherhood, it's, it's the opposite approach, right? You're still, you're still leaning into people. You're celebrating with them. You're, you're stepping into their lives, but in a totally different way, in a really, I mean, in a really obviously more deep way with your own child. And then you, you do take it home with you because it's in your home. And in that, I actually found more love and more joy. And the fact that I could be in in someone's life, I know this probably sounds a little bit like mumbo jumbo, and I'm just trying to, because I think motherhood just is so overwhelming in love for me that I just, I just love being a mom because I take the honor of getting to raise little children in this world really seriously. I take it joyfully too. We have lots of humor, but I just, I am so grateful and overwhelmed at the thought that this little human is in my care for, you know, their first years and that I get to help shape and mold them into who they're going to be. And I get to lean into their giftings and lean into their talents and learn new things about them and learn new things about me. And that just, it's overwhelming to me all at once, but it's also just such a joy for me to get to have that responsibility and to be a mother to my own children. So it's an extraordinary calling. It is, you know, it's the initial calling of Eve it's a calling that obviously every single one of us uh, alive today, like, right, we have a mom who answered that calling in one way or another. Um, not all of us are the same kind of mom that you are. Um, I have six, but they all came to me through marriage. They didn't come to me. Um, I didn't I didn't give birth to any of them, but they're all mine now, as I like to say. Um, totally. And it is, um, it's an extraordinary responsibility to be entrusted by God, this sacred trust of the... Yeah raising of this other human being who I hope to spend all eternity with. Like one of my, I mean, probably my primary or greatest hope, right, is that every child with whom I am in a relationship is somebody with whom I'm also going to spend eternity. Like this is going to be my brother and sister in Christ. Talk with us about um, the spiritual, you know, practices of your home or maybe just your own faith in terms of how it informs how you parent. Yes, I I was raised in a um, Christian home, so I feel very fortunate in that sense that my parents instilled the Lord in me from an early, early age. But there still came a point in my life where I had to take that for my own, right, Carmen? I I had to make that my own and and decide which way I was going to go, how I was going to live my life. Um, And that happened really a couple times at about the age of 16 and then again in college at the age of about 19, Um, just really making Jesus my own and having a relationship with him. And, and when I decided 
that, that really set the tone for who I wanted to be, even going into marriage and who I was looking for, you know, and husband and what I was looking for and how we would parent together and how we would be married and all of those things. And what you were saying earlier about like just being entrusted by God to raise your kids and that with your focus on eternity, Tim and I talk a lot about how, you know, we're not short-term parenting. Like when we're, when we're doing something in the moment, when we're teaching our kids in the moment or disciplining them in the moment, you know, we're looking at what does this look like for them as an adult, as an example, like if, if I'm always picking up my boy's laundry and doing it for them, how does that translate as an adult? Does that mean they're going to get to an adult and say, like, mom always did it for me. I'm not going to do it. You do it. You know, someone else. Or am I teaching them and training them and equipping them in everything to say, like, you're going to launch someday from our home. And I want you to be ready to launch into whatever God has for you. And um, and so that's really Tim and I's focus is that, you know, we're not raising kids. Yes, we are. We're raising future adults. And how does that look? And how does our everyday translate into raising them that way. And one interesting thing I'll say as a side note, we were, um, my, my oldest son, nine Jude, he started basketball recently and I was an athlete all growing up. I actually played in college as well. And I was sitting there and I was thinking about, as I was watching his basketball game, I was getting a little frustrated with a couple things. You know, I'm an athlete. I was watching what was happening on the court and I was thinking, man, this is, I would kind of do it differently. I would do this. Why isn't my son, you know, all these different thoughts a parent has of a child who's playing athletics And then I came home and Tim and I were talking about that later. And he said, you know, what is our goal? Like it, you know, our goal isn't to raise an incredible athlete. Our goal Mm. is eternity, like you're saying. And it just, it, it was a good checkpoint for me because I had that background of athletics and I knew that the world that that was. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yes. Like I knew that, but thank you for that reminder. Like our, my goal for my nine-year-old is not pro basketball player that would miss the mark. My goal is for him to love Jesus and love people like Jesus does and, and eternity, like you're saying, Carmen. And I just, that was just the other night. And it was just such a healthy reminder to me as a parent. I knew it, but I needed that that nudge again of like, this is what you're aiming for, Sarah. This is, you know, we're aiming for Jesus. We're aiming for heaven. So that was a long winded way of what you're saying, but that's really where my heart is, you know, right now and always for my kids. Oh, I just, um, I have a book that just came to mind um, that I want to send you. So um, thank you for sharing that. I think that is absolutely right on and totally, um, yeah, totally where my heart is as well. All right. You guys can find um, Precious Sarah and Tim and their gloriously adorable brood of little boys at modernfarmhousefamily.com, Modern farmhousefamily.com and from there you can get to her Instagram and everything else Um, her book is I Grew With You it's for parents and kids it's about pregnancy and it's about motherhood it's really really precious Sarah what a joy thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen oh my goodness thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it absolutely you're listening to Mornings with Carmen we'll be right back Are you preparing him room? Are you preparing to receive the king? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. How are you uh, preparing your heart 
for the arrival of the Christ. Yes, I recognize Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago now. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to prepare him room in our hearts today. The one who comes in human flesh, born in a manger, is also the one who comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell each and every one of us. Should we make room for him? Should we prepare him room? So, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let's turn today and see the ways in which heaven and nature sing. Let us be the people who live as if the Savior reigns. Let us employ our songs to glorify the Lord our God, even Jesus the Christ. It is Christmas, after all. Yeah, there you go. That's a little wordplay for today. It is Christmas, after all. All right, I'm preparing him room. I hope you are too. Thanks for including me in your day. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.